Welcome to the First Church Orlando podcast. Here you will find recordings of weekly sermons, devotions, interviews, and seminar recordings from the First United Methodist Church of Orlando. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the podcast. Our scripture reading today comes from Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 7. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul took a route through the interior and came to Ephesus, where he found some disciples. He asked them, Do you receive, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you came to believe? They replied, We've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then he said, What baptism did you receive them? They answered, John's baptism. Paul explained, John baptized with a baptism by which people showed they were changing their hearts and lives. It was a baptism that told people about the one who was coming after him. This is the one in whom they were to believe. This one is Jesus. After they listened to Paul, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in other languages and prophesying. Altogether, there were about 12 people. This is the word of God for the people of God. Well, this is a story about baptism. The the topic of baptism comes up through the book of Acts uh, rather frequently. Uh, Often when parents come to me to schedule a baptism for their child, I like to ask, what what do you know about your own baptism? Tell me the story about when you were baptized. Now, obviously, that's harder to do if you were baptized as an infant, but those who are baptized in their teens or in adulthood often do have strong memories where they were, why it happened then, who the pastor was, what they were feeling, what led to that particular moment. I was baptized between my junior and senior year of high school at a church camp that I attended up in the mountains in Tennessee every summer. It was a late Sunday night. There was a a coolness in the air and a coldness in the mountain stream in which I was immersed. Uh, I remember the, the stars in the sky. We were way up in the mountain and the hundreds of flashlights shining on the water of my fellow campers. It was a profound experience for me, one I didn't make lightly or impulsively. I had given it thought and prayer. And I remember as I came up out of the water, the very profound, deep sense, this changes everything. And it truly has. I I think in some ways that moment was the beginning of my call to ministry. Now, many Methodists, in fact, I would guess most of you were baptized as infants. And I'm certainly not in any way disparaging the value and importance of infant baptism. I've baptized as United Methodist pastor many, many, many infants, including my own. 
Uh, The importance of of remembering the events of your baptism isn't nearly as important as remembering that you were baptized and the importance that means in your life. But my point this morning really is that, that, that oftentimes for those who experience infant baptism, when I say, tell me about your baptism, people can't tell me anything. They don't necessarily know where it happened. They don't know who the pastor's name was uh, or, or what the event was like, what, what members of the family came. That, that just seems to have gotten lost in time. Maybe they saw a picture. Maybe they've seen their baptismal gown if they plan to use it for their own child. But, but no one has told them why that event meant so much in their life or the life of their family. Again, I'm not disparaging in any way infant baptism. What I'm suggesting is that maybe sometimes we treat it a bit too casually. We get it done for the child, but then we never talk to the child about why this moment in their life was so important. I'm not trying to in any way discourage parents from baptizing their children. Rather, to raise the conversation, how will you help them to remember this event later in their life? And I hope that they will. Baptism is centrally important biblically. There's nowhere in Scripture that treats baptism as a, as a casual thing or just as a ritual that we perform. It was considered to be a life-changing moment. The first mention of baptism in Scripture is in the New Testament. It begins with the man that we know of as John the Baptist or the forerunner or the baptizer says in Matthew 3, 1 through 6, in those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. People from Jerusalem and from all over Judea and all over the Jordan Valley went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. John the Baptist was adapting a tradition, a ritual that already existed within the Jewish faith. I've mentioned several times through the Summer of the Spirit the importance in Jewish thinking of what it meant to be ceremonially, religiously clean versus being unclean. It's not about literally whether you were bathed or not, though that was part of it. It was about how the way you lived your life made you a clean or an unclean person. And so there were rituals to make you clean, hand-washing rituals, but there was also a full immersion washing called tevela in Hebrew. There were actually uh, fonts that you could climb into and be washed completely if there was something that caused you to need to re-enter into the Jewish covenant. That's what John the Baptist was doing. He was offering in the River Jordan a washing so that someone could re-enter into their covenant with God. John's baptism was primarily a cleansing. It was primarily a ritual washing 
It was a call to repent and change your life. It, it was based in Old Testament promises. Psalm 51, 7. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Or Psalm 103, 12. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far God has removed our sins from us. John said that his mission was through his preaching and baptism to prepare the way for the Lord. So he called people to repent, change your life, make a conscious decision to live a different life, a life of obedience, a life of faithfulness to the covenant of God. But John even knew that that was not all that was needed that there was a different meaning for baptism on the horizon. In fact, in just three short years from when Jesus began his ministry to the time of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, the whole understanding of the meaning and purpose of baptism evolved from what John offered to something brand new. John said in Matthew 3.11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but the one who is coming after me is more powerful than I. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The baptism that John offered, let's be clear, was about cleansing. It was putting people back in right relationship with God. But John said that someone was coming, Jesus, who would offer a baptism that included the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the symbol, of course, is fire. In John 3, 5, Jesus said, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, but what is born of the spirit is Spirit. So let me just try to be as clear as I can because in a moment this is going to get even more confusion, confusing. John's baptism was a ritual washing, a cleansing to wash away past sins, to restore the Jewish covenant, to prepare for the coming Messiah. And it was in many ways a personal decision that I need to do this to be right for whatever God is going to do next. But Jesus changed baptism. With Jesus, baptism would be more. It would be a cleansing of water, but a rebirth through the Holy Spirit. Water, of course, represents the washing clean. But it also represents the giving of the Holy Spirit and the spiritual transformation that implies. Let me give you a very, very simple, basic analogy. Perhaps you need to pick somebody up from the airport, someone you honor, someone important. Maybe it's related to your work, but your car is filthy. There's old french fries on the seat next to you. There's a stench about the car. There's mud on the mud flaps. The, 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 wind, the mirrors, the windows are all dirty. So you'd go to the car wash and you get the car cleaned, right? Inside and out. And now it's ready to receive the guest. You have prepared your vehicle for the person you're picking up. But maybe you really need an oil change. Maybe the air condition isn't working. Maybe your, your belts are squealing a little bit. Maybe the engine, engine needs to be tuned up. 
Well, that would be the baptism Jesus offers. The first would be just the cleansing, getting it ready. That's John's baptism. Jesus offers to come on and give a complete and full tune-up. And sometimes we need that. But here in the story of Acts is where things start to get really interesting and a little bit historically complicated. John, as the forerunner of Jesus, preceded Jesus. His ministry, though for Jesus and our preparation for coming, the coming of Jesus, was quite separate. And so it was possible in Jesus' day to have been baptized by John in the Jordan in preparation for a coming Messiah, but to have never met Jesus, to have never heard the message of Jesus. Remember, there was no social media. There was no 24-hour news cycle. It was quite possible that you had a profound spiritual moment with John, but never have heard the message of Jesus or encountered him in person. And so once you get to the book of Acts, you start realizing that the apostles were encountering disciples who were baptized by John, who were faithful followers, but had no idea who the Holy Spirit was or is or what the Holy Spirit does in a person's life. In the beginning of Acts, it says, Acts 1-5, Jesus gives this instruction to his disciples. He says, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And this theme keeps coming out throughout Scripture. Have you received the Holy Spirit? Have you been baptized in the Spirit? In today's reading, Acts 19 Paul and Apollos have gone separate directions. Paul has made his way to the the place of Ephesus. Later he would write them a letter, Ephesians. And there he meets a group of disciples. That's all that we're told about them. Paul says to these disciples who he's never met before, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you came to believe? They said, we've never heard that there even is a Holy Spirit. Well, what baptism did you receive then, Paul asked? John the Baptist's baptism. To which Paul responded, and, and pay attention to the language, John baptized with a baptism by which people showed they were changing their hearts and lives. It was a baptism that told people about the one who was coming after him. This is the one in whom they were to believe. This one is Jesus. We don't even know if these disciples knew the name of Jesus. Maybe they had simply given their lives in preparation for a coming Messiah. But the way that Paul describes it, he said, this is a decision you made. This was a choice you made, and it was a good one, but there's more. There is something involved in baptism, the Holy Spirit, that is more than what you can commit to. It's a power that wants to be at work inside you. John was saying, my baptism was just the beginning, but there will come a baptism that's about the Spirit. 
So here are these new disciples just discovering Jesus' name possibly and the gift of the Spirit are rebaptized in that moment in the name of Jesus. They receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and immediately they begin speaking in other languages and prophesying. Did you catch that? I've talked a lot about baptism, but really here is the point. They had received a baptism from John that set them on the right course. Now they had received a baptism in the name of Jesus that included the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the result was an outward manifestation of a newly received spiritual gift. In both 1 Corinthians 12 and in Romans 12, Paul teaches on the spiritual gifts, gifts that we receive by virtue of the Holy Spirit living in us at work in us. It says in 1 Corinthians 12 that every single believer in Jesus receives the Holy Spirit and by virtue of the Holy Spirit within us has particular spiritual gifts. Biblically mentioned by Paul are wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, discernment, speaking in tongues, interpreting tongues, service, teaching, encouragement, leadership, and mercy. Others have been discerned in Scripture. Each of these are, are, are more than just talents or aptitudes or, or, or skills we've developed. They're believed to be some latent ability that requires the Holy Spirit to awaken within us for the purpose of serving the church in the world. All of us have them. None of us have all of the gifts. We all have different gifts to contribute. And they work together in a complementary way, just like the parts of the body all function in a complementary way. We can't say to any part of our body, I don't need you. We need the whole body to function. In the same way, we need the entire church to function with the gifts that each of us have been given. Now, to this list of spiritual gifts... Paul also mentions in the book of Galatians, chapter 5, 22 through 23, that when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, that the Spirit will produce not just gifts, but also fruits of the Spirit. Specifically, he mentions love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And whereas there are many gifts of the Spirit, and you and I may only have one or two or three of those, we are meant to be people who embody all of the fruits of the Spirit. The the, the gifts of the Spirit are really abilities that we use. Fruits of the Spirit are really about our character. It's are we increasingly becoming more and more like Jesus in the way that we love, in the way that we treat one another? I've talked a lot about baptism in the service, but in the sermon, but really the point of this message has less to do with baptism and really the result, the intended result that baptism is supposed to have. That somehow through baptism, you and I become recipients of God's own spirit. That God wants to give us the gift of his own spirit. And that that spirit is manifest in us in a public way. Visibly, obviously, tangibly, demonstrably in our character, our actions, our words, our work for the kingdom. 
John's baptism gets us right. Baptism of the Holy Spirit changes us. It grows us. It transforms us. It matures us. It benefits the world to who we are becoming. John O'Donohue, the, the Celtic theologian, writes, Each of us brings something alive in the world that no one else can. When your life awakens and you begin to sense the destiny that brought you here, you endeavor to live a life that is generous and worthy of the blessing and invitation that are always calling you. Or in the words of the 20th century Methodist theologian, Georgia Harkness, she says, what transpires in the interior of persons must inevitably both reflect and affect the external situation. In essence, she's saying that what we might experience, become aware of, seek in prayer internally, ultimately is about who we become externally. Do people see evidence in us that the Spirit is moving? Do they hear it in our words? Do they see it in our action? Do they feel it in our disposition toward them? Do they see it in the way that we operate in the gifts of the Spirit? Now, if I was you this morning, if I was out there sitting in the pew and not the guy up here in the pulpit, I might be wondering how any of this actually happens. I mean, is this just kind of a a nice religious spiritual idea? Or is this possibly real? That God's spirit could live within me? That I could actually have God-inspired abilities? That my character could actually change? Oftentimes when I get home on Sunday, Kelly will say to me, that was a good sermon except for one thing. You didn't tell us how. Sometimes we need to know how. How do we receive the Holy Spirit? How do we know that we have gifts and what they are? How do we have developed, let loose the fruits of the Spirit in our lives? 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says, Don't you know, don't you know, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. We believe that we are recipients of the Holy Spirit through our baptism. That, That doesn't mean that it's fully awakened. Paul talked about fanning into flame that which is within us. Sometimes we have to kind of awaken the presence of the Spirit within me and within you. But the good news is we can, that that's what God wants for us. You remember that passage where Jesus says, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be answered. Well, that's essentially about asking for the Holy Spirit. He goes on to say, who of you, if your child asked you for bread, would give them a stone? Who of you, if your child asked for a fish, would give them a snake? Well, how much more is your Father in heaven desiring to give you the Holy Spirit if you will ask? That's what it says. Ask. Ask. Sometimes when I need to be reminded of the Holy Spirit present within me, I just breathe. Because remember, that's how we came to life. God breathed the Spirit, the breath of God into our nostrils, and we lived. 
But once the Spirit is within you, you have these gifts, how do you discover them? I'd encourage you to just to go online and take a spiritual gift inventory. There's lots of them. Just go home and Google it. Spiritual gift inventory. And see what it has to say. And then finally, you might be thinking, well, I don't feel more loving. I don't feel more joyful. I don't feel more kind or patient, etc. Well, maybe it's because you're just not inviting the Spirit to move enough. These are fruits produced by the Spirit within us. Maybe we're just not letting the Spirit have enough room to move. Sometimes we just have to be intentional about clearing out some space, dealing with my ego, dealing with my pride, dealing with my sin, dealing with my priorities so that the Spirit can have the freedom to move as the Spirit wants to. But know this. Know this. These are gifts of the Spirit. I love the word gift. God gives good gifts. All we have to do is ask. All we have to do is open our hands, our hearts, our minds, our souls to receive them. Thomas Merton says, God is the master of his gifts. And wherever there is sincerity sincerity and an earnest desire for truth, God will not deny the gifts of his grace. A guiding passage for me, for, for many things, has become Matthew seven seventeen. It's just a short verse. Jesus said, every good tree produces good fruit, and every rotten tree produces bad fruit. I've changed that a little in my mind. I just say to myself, judge a tree by its fruits. Not judge as in condemning, just evaluate. Evaluate a tree by its fruits. No matter how religious something might be, if it's not bearing fruit, it is not a vessel of the Holy Spirit. And no matter how unreligious or unspiritual something might seem, if it's bearing good fruit, it might deserve a second look. God calls you and I to be good trees that bear good fruit. God's calling this church to be a good tree that bears good fruit as we let the Spirit move through us and produce gifts and fruits that manifest for all the world. Let us pray. So that I pray, Lord, for every individual in this room, from the youngest to the oldest, that your spirit would become alive in each one of us, awaken within each one of us all that is possible. Fill us, Holy Spirit, as we breathe you in deeply. Reveal to us what our gifts are. Empower those gifts that they can be used in mighty ways. Bear new fruit in us that we can be more like Jesus, I pray. In Jesus' name, we ask this. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and that you will listen again in the future. If you enjoyed today's message, we hope you'll subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and share it with others on social media. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If this podcast is a valuable resource to you, 
we invite you to give to this ministry by making a financial contribution at firstchurchorlando.org forward slash give. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.